0: The ingredients for this episode are Queen of the Night, Mystique, and Apricot Brandy. I'm Andy Anderson, the mischievous maestro, and we're mixing up the perfect combination. The Magic Flute is an opera in two acts by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. The work is in the form of a singspiel, a popular form during the time it was written, that included both singing and spoken dialogue. The work premiered on September thirtieth, 1791 at the Freihaus Theater in Vienna, just two months before the composer's premature death. My favorite character in the opera is the Queen of the Night, and she is the main antagonist. She is first introduced as a desperate mother whose beloved daughter was kidnapped, but it ultimately appears that she is the villain of the story who wants to steal the powerful Circle of the Sun. So, Queen of the Night, here in the High Court of the mischievous maestro, the charges brought up against you are as follows. Libel. Slander. Attempted overthrow of a government. Attempted first-degree murder. Extortion and blackmail. How do you plead? We, the high court of the mischievous maestro, find you... Well, hold on for a minute. Let's do some research. We'll get back to the verdict in just a few minutes. All right, my friends, before we go any further, it's time for a cocktail. This one's actually kind of cool, and I will say this is a new one to me. I was sitting on the sofa one night, flipping through a book that I have, and came across this drink. We made it, and it has become a favorite here in the Mischievous Maestro headquarters. The drink is called The Midnight, and what you're going to need is apricot-flavored brandy, triple sec, and lemon juice, fresh squeezed. Put some ice in your cocktail shaker and to that, add two ounces of apricot-flavored brandy. One ounce of triple sec. One ounce of lemon juice. Put the lid on your cocktail shaker and give it a good shake. And now strain it into a cocktail glass. And there you go, my friends, the midnight. Enjoy. So, my friends, while you're drinking your cocktail, let's get back to the research that we need to do to see about the Queen of the Night with her libel, slander, attempted overthrow of government, attempted first degree murder, extortion, and blackmail. In addition to one of the most impressively difficult and recognizable arias in operatic history, this woman has everything a high fantasy villain like herself should have. She's got evil minions. She's got awesome magic powers, and she has some of the best costuming and special effects an upper character could wish for, and that's saying a lot. And it is questionable whether she's actually a villain. She does really, really want to have this one guy dead, but she is also originally presented as a good person, and her minions save the tenor's life before arming him to go on a quest to save the princess, who happens to be the queen's daughter. Whether you should take the opera's word that she's actually evil or conclude that she's just a poor old widow who had her daughter and the guy she sent to rescue her abducted and brainwashed into double-crossing her by a cult of wannabe Freemasons is anyone's guess. But all that just makes the Queen of the Night an even more compelling antagonist and a very interesting character. So let's break this down a little. She isn't called the Queen of Sunshine, Rainbows, and Unicorns. No, she's called the Queen of the Night, and night equals evil, right? Like a sociopath, she does a smooth job of spinning a web of lies to Tamino. In her Act 1 aria, she sings, quote, Poor me, my daughter Pamina was abducted by the evil wizard Zarastro. She was terrified and screamed for help, and I was heartbroken. Then, in Act 2, when Tamino has wised up and figured out that Zarastro isn't an evil wizard, but rather a benevolent priest, the queen shows her true colors by sneaking into Zarastro's castle and gives her daughter a dagger and tells her, in a very loud, dramatic way, to kill Zarastro. Side note, let's pause in the story here for a moment. I've always wondered why she didn't just take her daughter with her at that moment. After all, the whole point of the opera is for her daughter to be rescued, right? And she's standing right there in front of her daughter. Of course, this would end the opera a little early, which would be okay for most people, since at this point in the show, we've been sitting in the opera house for about two and a half hours, and we still have a very long act two finale to get through. But anyway, I digress. And then, at the end of the opera, when her evil plans have been foiled, Zarastro banishes her and her minions to eternal darkness so she's pure evil, right? Well, not so fast. In her Act 1 aria, the Queen of the Night doesn't lie even once. Zarastro did abduct Pamina, who was terrified. The Queen was heartbroken, and wouldn't you be if your daughter was kidnapped? Only thing she says that isn't true is that Zarastro is evil. That, as we come to learn, isn't the case. He's good. And by the way, when I'm saying the word "good," I'm putting it in air quotes for effect. So, she wasn't necessarily lying, she was just mistaken, and there's a big difference there, right? You see in this opera, night does not mean evil, neither does darkness. In The Magic Flute, darkness and night symbolize ignorance. Let me say that again. In the opera The Magic Flute, darkness and night symbolize Ignorance, lack of wisdom, which is the opposite of enlightenment. The goal of the fraternal order of Freemasons to which Mozart belonged was wisdom, represented as light or enlightenment. In Masonic lodges of Mozart's day, new initiates were led to the entrance blindfolded or hooded to symbolize their confused, unenlightened state. Once admitted, the blindfold was removed and the initiate was dazzled by brilliant light a blazing fire perhaps, or a brilliant chandelier, all representing the light of Masonic wisdom and truth. So who or what does she, the Queen of the Night, symbolize? Well, that's easy. For Mozart, the Queen of the Night represents a group of his fellow Austrians who were suspicious of Freemasonry, a group who now included the emperor himself, Joseph II. The secrecy in which Freemasons went about their business turned the tide of public and governmental opinion against them, which frustrated Mozart to no end. When the queen gives the knife to Pamina, it's not to be taken literally as attempted murder. It symbolizes the movement in Mozart's community to curtail Freemasonry and prevent it from growing. And when Zarastro near the opera's finale dispatches the queen and her minions to quote eternal darkness, we must remind ourselves of the meaning of darkness. They aren't dead. They merely remain in ignorance. Mozart understood that, just as some doubters of Freemasonry might be capable of changing their minds, there would always be some who remained blind to the truth of the altruistic and idealistic aims of the Masons. They would never, quote, get it. So, about the verdict of this case, well, you're still evil, and you are for sure the villain of the opera, but we here in the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro find you, Queen of the Night, not guilty by reason of ignorance. Before we leave this interesting case, let me throw one more thought out to you, my friends. This is something I've been thinking about for years, I've conducted magic flutes several times and I always spend time thinking about the following. There's a history between Zoroastro and the queen. Remember how she bemoans that when her husband died, he left some objects of power to Zoroastro rather than her. I think she does know what he's about and doesn't like it, and she may be justified because he is a creepy cult leader. What are the marks of a cult? Well, one, brainwashing. Two, cutting members off from friends and family. And three, preventing them from leaving. Well, check, check, and check on all three of those. He kidnaps a young woman against her will, leaves her in an unsafe situation where she almost gets raped by his followers, tells her that her mother is a bad person and she needs a man's guidance, and then puts her through an ordeal that almost drives her to suicide. Even the happy-go-lucky character Papageno is also almost driven to suicide by the mind games of the initiation, which both he and Pamina are experiencing under duress. Only Tamino can be said to have agreed to the process, the other two are along for the ride and find it horrifying. Sure, everyone seems happy in the end, but I have to wonder for how long. Zarastro is given the lines to preach benevolence and wisdom, But don't all cult leaders talk a good talk? So there you go my friends. Maybe this episode should have been called The Queen of the Night and Zarastro. Before we end this episode, I want to give you a personal experience with The Magic Flute. The morning was a Tuesday. It was September the 11th in 2001, where I was working on a production of The Magic Flute with the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. I was newly hired on the production staff there. And that morning, we had first orchestra reading, getting ready to move into the theater. Usually a very exciting time. It was also the opening of the season. That morning, as we all watched the horrific events unfold on the television, and then once we got to the theater for the reading, we realized that none of us were prepared for what we had been watching on the television, what was happening around the world, but we also were not emotionally prepared for that rehearsal that morning. I'll never forget when the downbeat was given and the sound that the orchestra made, the beginning of the overture, those sets of three horn blasts. Instantly, there was a healing that happened with all of us in that room that day. We'll never understand why the things that day happened, and we'll certainly never understand the full effect that it had on all of us. But one thing will always remain true for me. Every time I've conducted that opera since 9-11, I have always remembered The theme of Magic Flute is good versus evil, light versus dark, night versus day. And with the evil that was happening in the world that day, we had the power of music to heal us and to take our minds off, even just for a brief moment, the tragedy and the sorrow that surrounded us. In our next episode, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro will be returning to Rome for an in-depth investigation into Puccini's most vile of villains, Scarpia, from that shabby little shocker, Tosca. Until then, continue to stay safe, my friends, and as always, stay thirsty for knowledge. The Mischievous Maestro podcast was researched and written by me, Andy Anderson. Recording engineer and co-producer is Ryan Hall. Art director and co-producer is Jefferson Reidenauer Very personal assistant to The Mischievous Maestro and co-producer is Megan King. Production assistant, co-producer, and all-around great guy is Ivan Cano. Publicist for Andy Anderson is Jonathan Blaylock. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform to get all of the upcoming episodes with exciting drinks. To learn more about The Mischievous Maestro and for the drink recipes, don't forget to visit our website, themischievousmaestro.com and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Mischievous Maestro is so much more than a podcast, it's a lifestyle. And I would like to remind you to please drink responsibly. If you're not old enough, don't do it. And if you are old enough, do it in moderation. And if you're having a bad day and refuse to drink in moderation, then please follow these simple rules for overindulgence. Don't drink and drive. Please don't drink too much and then email your boss asking for a raise. And please, for all that's holy in the world, don't drink too much and then drunk text your ex at 3 a.m. This podcast is the sole property of the mischievous maestro and may not be used in whole or in any part without the expressed written permission of Andy Anderson.